Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, it's Angela Yee, host of Angela Yee's Lip Service. If you listen to my podcast, you know I love making space for women to be themselves. That's why I'm excited to be part of Women Take the Mic, iHeartRadio's celebration of the women who make music, influence change, and create culture. All month long, your favorite voices from talk radio, music, and podcasting will highlight the remarkable achievements made by women and discuss the most significant issues facing us today. Head to iHeartRadio.com slash Women's Day for more. And listen to Women Take the Mic on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend Jon Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our Way, with yours truly, Skip Bronson, and my pal Paul Anka, is a production of iHeartRadio. Hi, folks. This is Paul Anka. And my name is Skip Bronson. We've been friends for decades, and we've decided to let you in on our late-night phone calls by starting a new podcast. And welcome to Our Way. We'd like you to meet some real good friends of ours. They're leaders in entertainment and sports. Innovators in business and technology, and even a sitting president or two. Join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before, tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we'll be doing it our way. Hey, Skip, how you doing today, man? What's going on? Hey, that, you know, I, I got to talk to you about that, that, that tailor. Remember yeah. you told me you got some woman in Burbank? Yeah. So I'm ready to go there because all my Fervante suits, remember the bulletproof jackets? <laughs> he, used <to> make, <laughs> he used to make the coats for the boys. It's all wearing out. Is she, uh, is she cool? She is. But by the way, it's not all wearing out because I recognize that great coat you were wearing when you performed at New Year's Eve on Times Square. Hadn't worn it in five years. That was a Fairavanti special, if I recall. Yeah, 
Yeah, it was. Yeah. Thank you. It, yeah. it looked amazing. It looked amazing. Who knew yeah. that the lapels going all the way out to the shoulder were going to come back in style? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Out to that. You had to you had to keep that in your closet until it came back into style, right? It's been there for 15 years. That was the one <laughs> night I pulled it out. Are you kidding? That's the oh first time God. I've worn it in years. You know how heavy his coats were. You know they were so oh, heavy. I know. I know. Speaking of heavy, how'd you pull your heavy friend tomorrow? I'm looking forward to Mark Burnett. He's awesome. Can I tell you something? He's just the mm. greatest. He's the greatest guy. And, you know, I mean, the thing that keeps coming back is his story is the American dream. I mean, the guy went from yeah. being a paratrooper to being a nanny to being the, you know, probably the most, if not the most important producer in, in television. It's just amazing. Guys. Well, I got to hit him up on that nanny that, that I haven't figured out yet. Yeah, he no, it's, 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 I want some meat around that. How do you right. how do you become a nanny? <laughs> right, and, and then a chief archi architect. Yeah, right. Yeah, and how about the shows? I mean, the Survivor, The Voice, The Apprentice, yeah. Shark Tank. You think his days in the military help him come up with that idea he had for Survivor? I don't know, but that's a great question. You should ask him that when he's on. Definitely. Yeah, but I, you know, I think my goal would be for this to be like a master class, you know, to really talk about not just how you go from being a nanny to being a producer, but how do you go from being a producer to being the producer and hitting it out of the park the way he has. And you know, yeah. this, I'll tell you another thing, by the way, he yeah. really has balance in his life. We should hit on that because this guy, he loves to work, but he loves to play. All right, so I'm gonna make a list. I'm gonna ask him about you know the hard time he had selling that show. Yeah. Anyway, we'll stay we'll stay tuned, and uh, I probably won't talk to you again until tomorrow. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> Try to. No, you usually Try. call me and tell me what you have before you go to bed. <laughs> All right, you know what? I think I will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. All right. Yeah. All right. Love, Love you. you. Take care, man. Bye. 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 There's a Mark. I see a There's Mark. The guy. <laughs> I see the guy. him in every good way. Hey, Mark. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how'd you guys two, you two meet? I'm very curious. It's funny. Jordan, I was going to let Mark answer that because Jordan, our producer who's on with us, asked me that question. I've known you so long. I don't even remember how we first met. Do you? Do you remember how we first met? Uh, long, long time ago. I, oh, I know how. You rented one of my beach houses. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. I remember that. That's right. He had, that's right. Edie and I had just sort of moved to LA and we wanted to try Malibu. And we looked at a lot of houses to rent and each one was worse than the next. And then we walked into this house that was absolutely perfectly done. Like you wouldn't change a thing, nothing. It was just flawlessly perfect. And Edie said, in front of the agent who hadn't given us the price yet. Oh, this is the one we want. I said, wait, hold on. Wait a second. What, what a great way to negotiate, right? <laughs> it was, but it was great. We spent, I don't know, you three or four months there. And yeah, I remember. the house is just fabulous. Yeah, I remember yeah, you were raving about house. that house. You used to call me like every day. You won't believe this house, Bellini. I, I came out and saw you once, right? Yeah, I said, yeah, I'll, yeah, sp great. I'll split the rental with you. You didn't, you didn't go for it. <laughs> You know, Mark, I'm listening to you, and I'm reminiscent of a friend of mine. You know, I, I kind of was raised in England because I was like one of this kid teenage thing and is all over England. And you, You're Cockney, right? Yeah, I'm from Myland. I, I was born in Myland. 
certainly within the sound of bow bells. I got a, one question I've got when I did the research was, you're a paratrooper? Yes, I, I'm, I'm a veteran. I served in the 3rd Battalion Parachute Regiment, which is a, a an elite unit in the British Army, a very famous regiment, the same regiment that, that jumped into, into um, Holland on, a, on the movie A Bridge Too Far. So a big, big history. Wow. And then a nanny. Well, yeah, I... I I had That's a hell a of a parlay. Well, except for the people who hired me were pretty smart in that. I remember but that night they interviewed me and, and the guy said, you know, well, can you, but can you, it's not just taking care of kids. Can you clean? I said, clean? I just left the British Army. They came around with a white glove looking for dust on my locker. He said, oh, can, can you do laundry and iron? Iron? Of course I could iron. I mean, the British Army, I could put, a, I said, I could put a crease in your shirt so sharp you could shave with it, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said to me, well, can you cook? I said, sir, I'm British. My mum can't even cook. <laughs> <laughs> we know how famous British cooking is, right? <laughs> it's kind of still nil over there. Indian, Italian, etc. That's so cool, man, to make that transition. It was, And then you became an insurance salesman? Yeah, well, one thing you should know about Working as like a, I was a bit of security, a bit of a driver, a bit of a cleaner. You yeah, know, I'm very good at cleaning. Really, they, they end up hiring a cleaner to clean my room actually at, the, at that house. But it was interesting to move to Beverly Hills from you know, living in in East London, in in where my parents worked at Ford Motor Company, so all the houses were the same in the whole town. Um, suddenly, I'm in a place where they've got like a a TV in my room, which is amazing because there's only ever one television in our entire house, which probably was a black and white TV. And we had like all these cable channels and Z channel, which was the movie channel. I couldn't even believe you can get movies, whatever you want. Um, and they actually had only one spare car, which they said, oh, you can use the spare car. It was a Mercedes. I couldn't even believe. So now I'm living in Beverly Hills. I've got color TV with movie channel and the Mercedes to drive around in. But what I realized was that two things one they love english people and they would ask me things like do you know the queen i'm like what did you go to eton or oxford and i'm like okay this is going to be great they have no idea i'm from working class and didn't even go to college they're assuming all english people are smart next thing i learned was they while being very very wealthy were not any smarter than me and i realized you know what this America thing could really work out. That's funny. That's you so know, cool. Really threw them off. The thing that threw them off about you is you have perfect teeth, which <laughs> the Brits are not necessarily known for. <laughs> Thanks to British Army dentists. Exactly. Those of us really who didn't know you first found out about you because you were the producer of the Survivor, and you didn't just go from being a nanny to hey, now I'm producer of this hot show. So, what was sort of the Give us the genesis of that. How did that work that you went from being a nanny to being, you know, a producer of one of the highest rated shows? Well, I left that job because I got, I sort of got too close to the kids and the kids were spending more time with me than they were with their dad. I mean, I was fun and making it fun for them. I think there's a bit of a jealousy thing comes in there. So that wasn't going to work out. So I got another job in Malibu for a guy who owned an insurance company. And, you know, he said to me eventually, you can't do this forever. You know, do you want to work at my insurance company? And so 
I went and, and uh, worked with the insurance company. And while I was doing that, I started selling T-shirts um, during like the lunch breaks at the insurance company and started realizing, wow, I'm, I'm making more money selling schmatzer than I was <laughs> uh, at the insurance company. So then I, then I rented a piece of uh, a fence on Venice Beach, not even a store or a parking lot space, just a fence. I hung the t-shirts on the fence. The fence was costing me like $1,000 a month, but I made a fortune selling damaged t-shirts. I'd buy them for $2 a piece downtown Los Angeles and sell them for 18 in the stores that were selling for 45. So, and the damages, by the way, you couldn't even see, but they couldn't go to Nordstrom's or Macy's. And so I left the insurance business. I said to go, I'm so sorry. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, and I thought he was going to be mad at me. And it was a, another great American thing. He said, mad at you? I'm thrilled. I, 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 all I want you to do is do well. Hmm. Said, this is the American dream. I'm so glad you're making your own way. What can I do to help you? And so I was expecting to be yelled at. You let me down. I got you a job. The opposite. How can I help you? And I stayed within touch with that guy I stayed, you know, until he died. I mean, uh, until he died at, I think, 90 or something. Um, I remember one day when I was working at his house in Malibu and and, and uh, said, you know, you're going to have a, a big future. Then I went back. I, I did Eco Challenge's show, first show, then Survivor. Survivor was going to come on at uh, Memorial Weekend. I'm at his house and I'm there and an airplane flies by on the beach. It says, Survivor, new series, starts Wednesday, 8 p.m. He went, that's your show, right? I said, yeah, it's my first network show. He said, wow, talk about the American dream, Mark. You know, you were a servant in this house and you got a, a network show coming on. I said, well, let's hope it, it does well. He said, well, he said, what are you going to do if it does do well? I said, you never know. Uh, he said, well, next door, the house next door is for sale. Whoopi Goldberg was just looking at it. It's a small house next door. I said, wow, that would be a dream, wouldn't it? To buy that small house next door. He said, no, the American dream. You buy this this big house, and I move next door. I'm like, whoa! I I learned from that guy how Americans really want to support success. Don't try and pull you down. This is a country where if you've got the goods and you can do the work, you'll get they'll open doors for you as long as you can do it. You have every opportunity. Now I am the American dream. If you just want to cut, look at go forward. I came. I'm working as a servant in a couple of houses. That house, that first house, by the way, was 624 North Beverly Drive, Beverly, Beverly Hills. 30 years later, after making many shows, you know, like Survivor, The Apprentice, Fifth Grader, The Voice, Shark Tank, you know, I then sold that company to MGM. Part of the deal was to make me president of MGM. The first day I got there, they sent a car for me. I had no idea where MGM even was. I walk into the office, they give a big office. I was, wow, I couldn't even believe the size, office size of an apartment. And they made me president of MGM. I looked out the window. One way, I could see the Hollywood sign. The other way, I'm like, wait a minute. What's the address of this building? Uh, Mr. Burnett is 245 North Beverly Drive. I could see the house from my office where I was picking up dog poop on the tennis court 30 years earlier. That is the American dream. Yes, indeed it is. <laughs> That's such an incredible 
story. I mean, he could just stop right there. I mean, that's that's game over. Drop the mic. But my question is, in a lot of the stories about you are apocryphal, and I don't even know if this is fully true, as, as close as we are as friends. But the story that I had heard was that you went to various networks trying to sell the idea of the survivor, and you went to Les Moonves, who at the time was the CEO of CBS, and he said, you know what, this is a really interesting idea, but I can't sell it. I mean, I can't get advertisers. And so I can't put I can't put it on the air. And you said, what if I find the advertisers and you did some sort of a revenue share with him? Is that true or is that just a, a made up story? It's totally true. Totally, it's totally true. It's even it's even crazier. So I pitched the networks. ABC said yes. So I had a contract with ABC or a deal member with ABC and ABC then. So I'm now excited. You know, I actually sold my first network show. You know, hadn't spent any money, but I imagined it. You know, and then a few months later, just as we we're developing it, they said, "Oh, we're going to cancel the contract." I said, "What do you mean? We have it in writing." I remember they said to me, "What are you going to sue ABC? Get out of here!" Right? And I thought, "Well, I guess they're right. I, what do I, I don't even have hardly any money. How can I sue ABC?" CBS had already passed. But I went back in again. I never met Les Moonves. I'd pitched some uh, person below him. I managed to get myself a meeting. I forget how, with Les Moonves. Pitched it. And exactly what you said, Skip. He said, look, we want to do this because you can't make a pilot. There's no one-hour test case here. You can only make the entire thing. So, you know, first of all, you've never made a network show. Second of all, there's no pilot. So we're trusting you for 13 hours of network TV. But he'd seen my previous show, which I had an Emmy for, called Eco Challenge. It was a nature kind of Discovery Channel show. So he liked my style, what I'd done with it. And I, I said to him, well, the thing you have to learn, I, I know in my mind, overcoming objections. Everyone has objections to what you're doing. Can you overcome that objection? So first of all, discover what is the objection? The objection wasn't he didn't like me. It wasn't he didn't think my style of making stuff was any good and he liked the idea so his, his issue he said was money we're committing so much money to this and without any test it's just too risky and then i said to him how about we approach this like the olympics or we sell sponsors well we'll sell five or seven sponsors and i'll integrate their products into the show and he's like what do you mean? I said, well, I did it on Eco Challenge, my previous show on cable and Discovery Channel, where I put sponsors into it. Give me a chance. Is it? Okay. As long as you go to the advertisers with my sales team and you don't embarrass us because we don't really know you. Okay, let's try it. And if you sell four sponsors at X number of millions of dollars, I'll give you the deal. Anyway, I went off. My first thing, I'd never been outside of California, really. I went to Minnesota, right? Minneapolis, in winter. I could not believe the temperature, first of all. And I could see these blonde guys who were like six foot eight in shorts, shoveling snow. Who are these people who live here? This is crazy. I went there and Target was my first meeting. And I pitched Target and I said, look, think about this. These people are on an island. They're starving, they're cold, they're uncomfortable. Imagine if we dropped a parachute with a big box of Target supplies and 
on top of that, so the 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 way that it'll get you the what you want, the feeling you want from the audience will be the excitement of the survivors who are dirty, smelly, hungry, to get this bag of supplies, pillows, some food, some blankets, you know, stuff, washing stuff, soap from Target. But also, I'll drop it from an aircraft on a parachute and I'll make the parachute in the Target logo. They literally said, and CBS executives were sitting there just looking at me like, who is this guy? And Target said, okay, we're in. <laughs> and Target at that point had never been a CBS sponsor. So they were like, oh my God, this is crazy. By the way, when I put that on, what was great for Target, that parachute with their logo became a sunshade for the survivors. So that Target logo was in about 10 episodes. So imagine what they got for their money. The second one, I went to Detroit. I've never been to Detroit before. Met with Ford Motor Company and convinced them that later on, when there's only like four left, there'll be a challenge and someone's going to win a brand new car. I said, it's not just the fact the car. I need the car shipped to the island. But imagine the smell of a new car. Imagine if you've been on, a, on an island and you haven't had a wash really for six weeks and you get to sit in a brand new car, that new car smell. The reaction they're going to give is going to really expressly endorse how they feel about this new car. Ford said, we're in, we'll do it. So Leslie Moomey called me a couple of days later. He said, okay, you got the deal. I said, oh, I've only sold two Mr. Moomies. And you told me to sell four. He said, forget it. I can't, I don't know what you're doing, but all my ad, my ad sales say, I can't believe this guy, do this deal. And the deal I made with him was, once they got their money back from all the costs, I mean, the, the, I was going to get paid like 300,000 300, or something like that for 18 months work. So not, not that much, but also not chump change. And the deal was once they got all their production costs back, that we'd split 50-50. Well, I remember <laughs> the so, show was so big, if you remember, it was massive. So now we're three quarters way through the season. CBS called me, some lawyer calls me and says, we made a mistake on the contract. I'm like, what? Yeah, the contract says that after we get our costs back, you get 50%. We're going to owe you $10 million. I said, yeah. They went, oh, that, that can't work. I mean, that's, we, didn't, we never imagined this. I said, okay, but that's the deal, right? Well, then the lawyer said, well, can you forgive us this? Because the way it works in TV, you don't realize, Mark, the hits have to pay for the failures. Yours is a big hit. We can make money to pay for all the shows that didn't work. I said, it doesn't really help me. I said, no. Send me the check. Send me the check. <laughs> and, that, and so, so they actually had to pay me $10,300,000. Um, and as you know, Survivor now, uh, that, that first season, the final episode where Richard Hatch uh, was a, uh, a single gay father, brilliant strategist, won. And uh, 72 million people tuned in for the final episode of the first season of Survivor the most watched summer series uh, since Sonny and Cher in 73. Unbelievable. So well, you've, heard of, the, you've unbelievable. heard of those guys, right? You've heard of those guys, Sonny and Cher, right? They're my buddies. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> I, I we were in the same record company way back when. <laughs> I just saw Cher the other night at the Fountain Blue. Yeah, I go way back with them. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. 
I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, Mark, aside from the money, what do you think motivates people to sign up for Survivor? Um, different things. The, 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 in the initial time, it was a combination, um, well, the million dollars obviously matters. It was you know, one of the first million dollar uh, shows. Um, and so that was big at the time. There's a lot now. Uh, the other thing is, market, I marketed it as the, a great adventure in that when's the last time someone because they're going to be on the island, what, six, seven weeks, uh, 39 days, about seven weeks. When's the last time you went somewhere, had no one calling on, the f- no bills arriving, no phone calls, no one bothering you, you're literally living a Swiss Family Robinson kind of adventure. And so it, it was the adventurous spirit and the money. And of course, 
the idea of being on television. That's a big motivator. Um, now, later, now we are, so it's the 2023, so it's 23 years later, the 45th season of the show, with two a year, just went up in the ratings. Survivor, during a season, is unbeaten in 23 years, Wednesdays at 8 o'clock. And it's evolved. Now, you know, Jeff Probst, who's one of my best friends in the world, who's the host and producer of Survivor, he's doing much more evolving than I've, I've ever done. He's, you know, Jeff's been running the whole thing for the last 10 years and has evolved it to be much more about the strategic game. So people now... Paul, sign up. Yes, for the adventure. Yes, for the money. And of course, to be on television. Everyone wants that. But also, are they the greatest strategists? Because let me tell you the underlying um, value proposition that is Survivor. Survivor is a game where you are combining with others or alone to eliminate your competitors. But the kicker is, the very end, when there's a couple left, all those people previously eliminated by you you're asking them to give you a million dollars. It's the greatest management training thing in the world. Can you fire someone who works for you and have them shake your hand and say, okay, I get it. I was treated well, thanks. Versus be mad at you. If you've eliminated people in Survivor, did you do it in a way they respected? Do they like you still? And are they willing to shake your hand and say, you know what? You beat me, you got rid of me, but you deserve a million dollars. That's the real underlying value proposition of Survivor. So that part hasn't changed. Zero. What is the biggest change from day one until now? How is the show? You, you said it evolved. Yeah, I think, Jeff, I think Jeff Probst and the team, many of the team, by the way, are the same team that I hired on day one. Wow. Well, I, I have a philosophy, by the way, of running my companies. CEO, to many people, means chief executive officer. It doesn't to me. It means chief encouragement officer. How do you hire people better than, you, than yourself, people you know are smarter than yourself, and encourage them? Well, Jeff Probst is the leader, not me now. And Jeff is the one who's involved it. And it's become a very, very, it's like playing multi-level chess. Right from the first minute, they're figuring out how to eliminate their opposition and win, but have the opposition still give them the money. It's, it's become even deeper in the game. And the audience... Have evolved with it. You know what's very interesting? Netflix made a big difference because Survivor, you can watch the old seasons on Netflix. We have a massive new audience that weren't even born when Survivor came on, but they discovered the old seasons on Netflix. So Netflix as a streaming service has really benefited us by the old seasons being watched and now they're tuning in for the new seasons. We have a really young audience. And how involved are you at this point? Well, you keep talking about Jeff, but what what is your involvement? I'm the executive producer. I'm there for guidance and advice when asked but the key thing you know when you remember i've gone from that eco challenge and survivor it's first two shows by the time i left mgm as its chairman 11 months ago i had 50 shows so how do you do that you need to hire people better than you and be a great delegator and if you hire people who are better than you like jeff probst on survivor clay newbel on shark tank Audrey Morrissey, who runs uh, The Voice. These are all handpicked by me, people I love and care about, and they wouldn't really appreciate me showing up every every five seconds. Oh, move the camera slightly left, or do this, do that. They're like, what are you, crazy? They know what they're doing. They know more than me. Imagine this, Skip. You and me, Skip, owned a store. It was a great store, convenience store, making lots of money. We decided to open a second one. 
Then you go to one, I go to the other. Now, it's, still, it's not doing as well as when we were both there, but it's still making great money. Then we decide to open 20 stores. Neither of us can be at any of those stores in person. The key is, who are we hiring to replace ourselves and how do we encourage them? We do know nothing's going to be the same as if you were there yourself doing it, but you won't be able to expand and, and scale a business if you can't hire people better than yourself and encourage them and leave them alone once they know what they're doing. There's nothing more annoying than some entrepreneur bugging the shit out of their employees. Good management style. All the, all the good guys have great management style like that. You just let your people go. Do the, the Buffett's very much like that. Warren lets his people go. Is that kind of your management style? In fact, when I hire people, new people, I always would say to them, for the next three months, I'm not expecting anything. I mean, you may do some good things, but I'm not really expecting it. Whatever you do is a bonus. Just learn and don't feel the pressure from day one to do crazy things because you don't really know yet how it works. And then after that, if they're not really, um, if everything's going too well after that, something's wrong. Because if you're not failing a bit, you're not really trying. It's like if you learn to ski or snowboard, if you're not falling over, clearly you're not trying. You're too cautious. And so people will make mistakes. It's okay. I'd rather they made mistakes than do nothing. Absolutely. The irony of your management style, just give you a, a parable. When I was a developer of office buildings in Connecticut, one of my tenants was McDonald's. And the regional vice president of McDonald's, his name was Frank Behan. He was showing me the, the, the guidebook, if you're a franchisee, and it said, 6 a.m., put key in door, 6.01, switch on friolator, 6.02. You followed exactly the way they laid it out. And of course, one of the things that McDonald's prides itself on is if you're in a McDonald's in Minnesota when you were there to see Target or when you're in a McDonald's in Detroit when you're visiting Ford, you're going to get the same meal. And there's no creativity to it. So there's such a creative aspect to what you've done and what you delegate to your people like Jeff and others. It's just the opposite. There's no real specific formula, right? It's just- nope. A lot of it's making it up as you go along, but knowing what to make up. Yeah, but I, um, with Survivor, I was heavily involved, probably for 10 years, I suppose. And, you know, the voice, less time, probably heavily involved for maybe, you know, the first five years, maybe, same as Shark Tank. Because as you get more experienced than you, people also, people knew, knew and know my way of running things and the sort of style of the shows and had seen the shows. And as long as you're hiring smart people who are respected, who are well-paid and encouraged, you know, and then look now, The Voice, Shark Tank, Survivor, these shows have evolved way beyond what I thought they would. And they're better than what I could have done. I still was the person who put them on the air, still the executive producer, get a lot of pats on the back. But I'm not a person who likes when credit is stolen from the people doing the actual work. Hollywood is full of assholes who do very little and take all the credit, and I will never do that. You know, for example, I realized after quite a few years ago that it was it was silly for me to get up on the stage and accept the Emmys because I wasn't doing the work anymore. I mean, not doing every the people doing the day that people in the, uh, I became like a general. You know, a general in the army is not out there in the trenches, are they? 
they're, they're directing things from behind the scenes. And that's how you scale. And nothing can be worse than the person. Imagine the general was taking credit as if, as if he was really out there fighting on the front line. That's bullshit. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Paul and I were talking about, you know, the way you created all these shows, and Paul's a creator also, obviously, in in his career. But the common thread with everything that you do, at least the way Paul and I saw it, is the American dream, the voice, the American dream, the the Shark Tank. You know, someone has a dream of a product that they can 
Is that fair to say that that's sort of the common, if there's a thread that runs through all these shows that you've created? Absolutely. It, it is the American dream. It's also, you know, when I did The Voice, remember, American Idol was pretty huge. But American Idol, its success was based upon humiliation, you know, which was their, their thing. So they'd find, try and find deliberately bad singers, which was made the comedy, like the gong show sort of thing, but an updated version. You know, when John DeMore, and there was a Dutch girl who came up with the original idea for The Voice, um, and, you know, I'd known him for a long time, and I said, I'll, I'll do this show with you. And what I liked was that there was no humiliation. Every person on The Voice, every person, is good enough to win. They all can actually sing in pitch. They're not sharp. They're mm -hmm. not flat. They're really good. And so, where was the drama then? The drama was in the coaches, the four famous singers, arguing amongst themselves of how to get that person on their team. So it completely flipped it. There was never any humiliation ever of the contestants who were singing, ever. And it was the banter, the, the sitcom between the four coaches. And it flipped on its head. And I think that it came at the right time because I think there came a point where humiliation became, oh, come on, it's, it's enough of this. Let's not do this. And so, Survivor doesn't humiliate the voice. My other show, remember I did a show for the 600 episodes of Are You Smarter Than the Fifth Grader, which was a show where fifth, 10 year, 10 year olds in a class, and there were people who went to master's degree from UCLA lawyers or doctors or you know professors were asked fifth grader questions. And why that show was successful? Because the kids were never humiliated. The kids knew the answers. And the kids were laughing at the adults in a in a fun way. And Jeff Foxworthy hosted it and never, ever made anyone feel awful. It was good, fun laughter, but in a kind way. And it's a show that made kids feel smart. Because clearly, any of us, we're all smart. But try to remember what, you, what, what things like questions, like, for example, how do you figure out the, the area of a triangle? You know, I like, well, I can't. When's the last time you thought about things like that? We haven't thought about those fifth grader questions in a lifetime, but the kids are doing it right now. And so the kids are always going to beat the adults. I have another show right now on ABC called Generation Gap, which has young kids with their grandparents. So for example, you could ask a young kid, you give a young kid a rotary phone and ask them to make a phone call. They have no clue. They're pressing the buttons. They don't understand that it turns. Hmm. Or you could be asking the grandma, who's Miley Cyrus? There's no clue, hmm. right? And so it's, it's a, a generation gap. It's a, a, another thing. And yet again, I do that show with uh, Jimmy Kimmel, uh, Good Fun Entertainment. One thing about Shark Tank, by the way, here's the thing which you guys know, and Paul, you, you've been in the, in the public eye for your whole life, and you know that the press can always try and rip us down, right? Always. So when, when Shark Tank came out, I did an interview with the LA Times, and I was trying to explain, you know, here's how I look at it. Getting a mortgage for a house is really hard, right? Imagine trying to get a loan from a bank to start a business. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least the house is a bricks and mortar. Imagine going in there, oh, I want to take a loan for this business. And so I thought that was a good one. LA Times wrote a story and said, what a joke. As if Mark Burnett knows what it's like to have to apply for a mortgage. They turned it upside down on me. Yeah, but the headline, that was in the story. The headline was just the... Uh, great new show, Shark Tank. I had like 500 friends say, oh man, great story in the LA Times. They never read the story, clearly. They just read the headline. 
had they read the story, it was ripping me a new one. Right. <laughs> yeah, great show, by the way. We're, we're losing Cuban, right? Uh, who knows? Who knows? You know, it was, isn't, it's now been, what, 15 years? Who yeah. knows? I, I haven't spoke to Mark about it, but I, I will. Great guy. Good friend. Yeah. And, um, and if so, you know, listen, the, the show's not about any one person. You know, no, the, the show is, is a show. You know, and if you look at the, the voice, look how many different coaches there's been on the voice. And right now with Shark Tank, there's many, many uh, guest sharks that come on. And one thing about Shark Tank, Shark Tank is my biggest co-viewing show. You it, it wouldn't think it's, it's about selling businesses, right? Or getting investment in businesses. So you're doing math of what percentage for what money. The biggest audience that has is kids. Kids watching with their parents. The kids like it, and the parents are discussing business. I really think American education should change. I think business and tax and stuff should be part of the normal high school education. I mean, it's like how kids love Shark Tank and dealing with how companies are bought and sold, how money's made. In the end, we're a capitalist economy. Could be a lot smarter for kids to be taught in high school these sort of underlying principles. How does the government work? Why are we paying taxes? What do they do with the taxes? How does business work? And how do you value a company? What kind of companies would, would be useful? Why would someone want to buy a product? These are really valuable everyday things could help people grow in their lives. What's next for you? Is there something on your bucket list that you've yet to do that's exciting for you? Um, you've got a few things coming my way. That, you know, I think I'll, I'm interested in, in the travel business. Travel business? Uh, yeah, yeah. I remember my shows have been all over the world, right? I've probably, as a producer, I don't think there's probably any producer in the world who's made more foreign-based shows than me. I mean, so, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, so I, I'm interested in, in um, I, I think travel is a very clean business, right? And I think mm -hmm. Americans, by the way, are some of the, the best tourists. Americans are very clean. Americans put their trash in the trash can. Americans tip well. It's a great country, you know? And so... I like the idea that sustainable travel, um, I like the idea that where some economies in the developing world might do um, a less clean kind of business, if they can have tourism, tourism is a very clean, sustainable business. And it encourages people to protect certain places because if places are made to be ugly with architecture or too many neon lights, you know, unless it's obviously a Vegas, but uh, people don't want to go there. Places that are, are remain cute and pretty and charming are attractive to tourists. So I'm interested in that. So, Paul, speaking of travel, Mark and I were on a, a flight from Los Angeles to New York, and we were at 41,000 feet, and suddenly the plane was a lot quieter, and the pilot came on and told us that we had just lost the starboard engine at 41,000 feet, and they were going to look for an airport put the plane down. So I know Mark so well, and I know how spiritual he is in his life. And I looked over at him just to try to get some spirit. <laughs> we, we, we flew the, about a half an hour on one engine until we landed at, at an airport in Colorado. And I remember, Mark, if you do, when the, the pilot came out of, out of the cockpit and he came back to us and he said, wow, that was exactly like the simulator. <laughs> Mark looked at him and said, I'm glad you were trained in that simulator. That was quite yeah. an experience. To encourage your listeners, to, uh, you know, is interestingly, 
had he not told us skip we wouldn't have known right so basically he landed it as good on one engine as two so it's very encouraging for people to hear that because you think oh i mean obviously telling us that was like what you know we looked at each other oh shit <laughs> right because you don't know I mean, i've never had that before you know and i've been a paratrooper I've, i didn't even have a parachute with me i would have jumped out but um <laughs> but it landed so they know what they're doing they can fly those planes unless you're did. unless you're over the pacific that's the biggest body of water you don't want to lose an engine but with one engine you're you're going to do fine as long as you can land somewhere you know people are spooked out about aircrafts and flying they've got it down today when I mean, you look at the reports of the crashes it's always man-made 72 percent deficiency in pilots well who knew who knew that paul anchor worked for the faa <laughs> <laughs> I, I read enough about it <laughs> faa fun anchor <laughs> i don't mind flying i've been flying since i was a kid you know there were prop planes and i'm what 15 years old i'm on with jerry lee lewis and fats domino and buddy holly and we're doing rock and roll shows we're earning 500 bucks a week and loving it and we're on the rinky dink planes we're going to Australia. Okay, so that's L.A., Hawaii, stop in Hawaii, stop somewhere else, land in Australia like, what, light years ahead? We didn't care. We didn't care until it started kicking in. But those were tough flights. You know, today's travel is just, it's like being in your own bedroom. <laughs> so easy. Didn't like it back then, though. So, Mark, because, you know, because this is a new thing for, for the two of us, and we're just getting started, we're looking at different little ideas and one was uh, that our producer jordan came up with where with sort of a lightning round of questions and just wanted to get your take on these one is how many hours a night of sleep do you get uh, i aim <laughs> i aim for eight and i don't always get eight but i aim for eight and I, I go to bed early what what time do you go to bed yeah what time do you go to bed good question uh, nine so you're you're religiously in bed by nine nine thirty every night uh, not i mean not every single night but yeah i, I pretty much try and do that I mean, especially, uh, you know, I live in Park City up here. So my goal is to be on my snowboard by 9 a.m. And right. so I, I would get up early. I do my, I have a book called Jesus Calling that I read every day and I pray. Right. I pray every day. That's a huge priority to me and the Holy Spirit and a snowboard. So I'm in a place now. Remember, I've, I've done 40 years of, of America, 30 years of, of my TV companies, sold my company three times. First to Hearst, then to MGM, then I owned 3% of all of MGM, sold that to Amazon. So I'm ready for a break. You know, in the old days, the word sabbatical was, okay, it was around Sabbath, right? Once a week. So in the Bible, God rested on the seventh day. In the old days, people who had some sort of means would take a year off in every seven years, which we don't have mm -hmm. that anymore, do we? And so, you know, I still have to have some responsibility on my shows, but uh, I'm definitely not over scheduling myself and I'm actually uh, living the dream and getting a good mm. sleep is part of it. Oh, it's very important, especially at our age. But those bowls, those back bowls are wide and beautifully groomed. Last time I skied up there, you're still enjoying all that? I love it every day. I mean, I'm going out every day, man. Yeah. Great bowls, wide and smooth and some of the best grooming, I think, there between and, Aspen. And, well, they know. say Utah best snow on earth because it's like champagne's powder it's so light you can literally pick the snow up and and blow it with your blow air out and it goes in the sky so okay skip what's next next question you know earlier you're talking about these shows and how you've delegated that's been an important thing 
But what's one thing that you have to do yourself that you would never delegate? Pray. Yeah, you can't delegate that. Yep. But you can teach it to people. What would you say is your standard lunch, just typically on an average day? You're so fit, but what do you what do you do for lunch? Poached salmon and vegetables. Yeah, there you go. Skip, you know me. I'm very regimented. Remember, I'm a military guy, being a really top military unit, and therefore, but if I, if I have a fault, it's I have the same lunch every day. 365 days a year. I, I learned recently from a doctor, it's not wise. Your body doesn't do well. It needs a variance of food. So I'm trying to add new things in, but I'm, I, I view food as fuel. So I literally have oatmeal for breakfast, poached salmon and vegetables for lunch, sometimes also for dinner, or maybe I'll have, I've started eating some elk and venison now. Like So meat does not, Got any antibiotics or any crap in it? I'm very regimented. Regimented and and disciplined. You're very disciplined. Completely. Yeah, you have to. And sometimes you've said to me what sort of things I hate in life. I dislike people who don't take responsibility for failure. There's always someone else's fault. I, in a military unit like I was in, things go wrong. First of all, when you're in the middle of a mission, or, or even when I was doing these races in the mountains. No point arguing about a mistake that was made in the middle of it. But afterwards, have a debrief. Take If you made a mistake, take responsibility and move on. Everyone's going to give you a break, especially Amer Americans don't mind you making mistakes and failing. As long as you take responsibility and try it and don't do it again. If you're a person carrying a pot of paint and you drop it, it splashes people. It's like, ugh. Right? But you, you go, I'm sorry, it's a mistake. You do that again, the same person. Like, what? Don't come near me. You're the, you're the idiot that dropped the pot of paint twice. Take responsibility and don't make the same mistakes, man. Learn from it. You're right. With all your strength and all your discipline, what would you say is your greatest weakness? Um, that I need to take more time to slow down and be a bit still. Because running all those shows, I remember, remember we started this, this discussion, went over and became a servant in Beverly Hills, and on the same street became the president of MGM, right? That's like so much busyness and stuff going on. And it's like it's like an engine that you wind up, you know, and it's, and then now I'm taking it slower. It's hard to slow down the engine. And if you can't slow the engine down, you're not really in touch with the spirit. And so um, that's what I've got to work on, being a bit more still. So in terms of things that might annoy you, what, what would be, let's well, say, your it, biggest it, pet peeve? People who don't take responsibility. Paul, there's a consistency there, right? For sure. You have a military man there. So other than one of Paul's songs, what would you say is your favorite song? Uh, probably Van Morrison, Astral Weeks. I love Van Morrison. Yeah. Van, Morrison Van Morrison is one of my wife, Roma Downey, who played the angel on Touch My Angel. She's Irish. One of her best friends is Van. And Van's been at our home 50 times. A he's a genius. I know you know him, Paul. A genius. And uh, Astral Weeks is probably one of my favorite songs of all time. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. 
We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Do you have your eyes on producing the Oscars? No. No, because... Never never interested? No, because I don't believe they would listen to me. (laughs) Uh, I mean, clearly, it's improving. But think about the Oscars. A network TV show, which means it's a broad audience. Broadcasting is not narrow casting. It's a broadcasting. And therefore, would it be wiser for a show on broadcast TV to be celebrating what many, many people enjoy it, not just what a few voters in the Academy would like. Therefore, many, many times the Oscar come on, it's won by a movie that no one's seen or even heard of. And so that's the privilege of the Academy, and I respect that. But maybe it should be on a narrower narrower cast, like a, a, Mm -hmm. a cable or something where it's a narrow cast. Broadcast TV is for a wide audience. And so... I would be suggesting different categories 
and also would be suggesting there should be a fan voted category. I mean, I produced the MTV Movie Awards for seven years, and I think so, or six or seven years, and the People's Choice Awards for the same time. Those two shows, the awards are given by the fans who vote for them. Uh, for example, the Grammys. The Grammys also could do with some fan voted categories, you know? Um, just to engage people, to make them care about, did their vote count? You know, What's your feel on artificial intelligence? How is this going to change your world? I think it's great. I think it's a great thing. I think it's going to be medical advances, science advances. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously a lot of people are scared of it because they think it might um, hurt their job. But listen, Paul, you've been around long enough to know that everyone said, oh, television's going to kill radio. Before that, oh, radio's going to kill live theater. And then, oh, Cable TV is going to kill network TV and streaming is no good. And then, oh, streaming is going to kill movies. It's all going to exist. It just adapts. You can't be scared of new technology. Mm -hmm. I agree. You know, and, and in the end, what is AI doing? It's, it's computers are reading everything ever written and analyzing what it means. Right. And so, yeah, we'll, there'll be songs written by AI. There'll be movies written by AI. Of course there will be. Mm -hmm. you know, on the other hand, think of this. When someone, let's say they're creating a script for a movie, they've, their whole life, they've grown up as a child in a house, first few years with their siblings and their parents have learned things, then they've seen TV and learned things, they've learned to read books and they've learned things, went to school and learned things. Their whole brain is like their computer. It's got knowledge has been dumped into it. So AI is just doing a super duper version of that. So let's say someone like I don't know him, but like Taylor Sheridan, who wrote brilliantly Yellowstone. Of course, Taylor Sheridan was affected in his art by all the Westerns he's ever seen. But like you can't say you should only be able to create something if you've never seen something similar. I mean, it's ridiculous. AI is a super version. There'll be problems, there's always problems and stuff, but I do think it's gonna be a benefit for humanity. And clearly the other thing you've seen recently in congressional testimony and stuff, the US government is admitting that we do have aircraft from outside of humanity, from other planets, and actually even mentions biologics, which means like non-human intelligence has been recovered by the US government. And for some reason, it's that they've been a hard time telling us, the taxpayers, who, who, who are their bosses, right? We're the, we're the bosses of government. And AI, clearly, in analyzing where did these spacecraft come from, what is it we could learn? The speed of which learning and hopefully for humanity and peace could grow faster by AI will be much quicker than humans trying to do it. Yeah, it's a coming force for sure. It's happening. If I could just pivot back, or just thinking for a second when you're talking about, you know, your spirituality and your wife, Roma, she's a 10 in every way. Drop dead gorgeous, wonderful person incredibly spiritual, sends me messages all the time. I think I've told you I get a kick out of these. You know, it, it slows me down, to be honest with you. I I'm, I'm suffer from the same disease. Paul does too, just trying to do too much, going so fast. And when I read one of those notes from Roma that she sends out to her friends, it makes me really take pause and think about it. But was she the one that made you a spiritual person, or are you the one that made her a spiritual person, or did you just... No, happen no, to both be spiritual people that came together. She grew up Catholic in uh, in Ireland in the Troubles, which is the name for the war in Ireland between the Catholics and Protestants and Britain. 
and uh, her brother's a priest. Roman's been going to church her entire life, Catholic church her entire life. Um, interestingly, Roman never tried to make me anything. That's what's really cool about Roma. She just, her way of getting someone to do something is lead by example. Just do, She just does it. And if you think it's cool, you might do it too. He doesn't tell you to do it. I, I my One of my faults is I would try, to, I want a quick result. I'd run, tell someone to do something, explain why they should do it and why they're wrong to not do it. She would never do that. But what really made me, I mean, I grew up Christian. I mean, but what does that mean? That means it's Christmas and Easter. It doesn't mean that certain Jews that don't go to synagogue every every week. They go to high holy days and stuff. So just because you're a Jew or a Christian, or, or, or it doesn't mean that you are spiritually involved with it. But when I decided, uh, along with my wife Rama, in 2011 to start making the Bible series, I, I originally wanted to do it because I thought there was a vacuum in the marketplace. 150 million Christians, you know, obviously many, many less Jews in the world, but the, the Judeo-Christian uh, faiths would enjoy seeing a show about the Bible, the most read book on earth. Well, I got ripped a new one in the press, right? How ridiculous. An executive in Hollywood who, who didn't like my success said, oh, great, he's going to fail. He's got all these big shows. No one is going to watch the Bible on primetime TV. Well, they were wrong and I was right. Because uh, the Bible on a Sunday night was up against Walking Dead and Game of Thrones. And the Bible had more viewers than Walking Dead and Game of Thrones combined. And the CNN headline said, God beats zombies. <laughs> <laughs> now, my spirituality came as a result. So I'm smart enough to know you don't get to make the Bible series, international series, and get it wrong. If you get the Bible wrong, it's game over. So, so I, well made, I made it my mission to really study, hired 40 experts to teach me and to read every script and give notes. 40, imagine having 40 different disagreeing people because Catholics and Protestants are not the same and Jews are not the same. I even had Muslim advisors because, you know, there's parts, of, <laughs> there's parts of the Abrahamic covenant, right? So that's where that came from. And partially through studying it and partially just through the Holy Spirit, the, the supernatural part of faith, it just came to me. And certain things, Skip, uh, and I've told you this, but I'd say it now publicly, certain things I don't know how I knew. I just knew it was right and put it in the series. It turned out to be correct. you know. And that series is huge. I mean, do you know that, that's, that series? It was pirated in China. 400 million Chinese people watched it. I gave it away to Russia. I gave the series to Russia. For free Russian TV in Russian, 150 million Russians watched it. It was a number one series in Spain, in Portugal. In Canada, the first night it went on, it was up against the first NHL hockey game, and the Bible beat hockey in Canada. That's true. That's a, that's a headline. The Bible beat hockey. I remember that Oprah, who we'd known for years, called us and said, guys, well, I'm on week four of the Bible. It's amazing. This is crazy. It's the water cooler talk of America. Can I come and do a two-hour special from your house? So Oprah came. I remember her opening line was to the American public. The Bible is the water cooler talk of America. What is going on? We're going to find out in the next two hours with Mark and Roma. Because Oprah is, is a person, a believer of faith. And got to know a lot of people through that. Tyler Perry and various people who encouraged us. I would say, if I look back on my career, the biggest highlights of my career, Survivor and the Bible. 
What was the most useful failure you've ever had, Mark? Most useful failure? Well, every failure I I treat as useful. I take responsibility and learn from it, first of all. But some shows that I wish did better, two shows. One was Rockstar in Excess, where uh, Michael Hutchins, unfortunately, as you know, died. It left In Excess without a lead singer. And I did a show on CBS Good Rockstar in Excess, where we found the new lead singer, a guy called JD Fortune, became the new lead singer of In Excess and yeah. did a world, two world tours with it. Um, but the show didn't go more than two seasons. It was hard to, yeah, I wish by the way, I should have done season two, I should have went to Queen and asked to, you know, obviously they have a new singer now. It's, it's hard to find a band that needs a new lead singer. It's, it wasn't a sustainable idea. So that was kind of a failure in that. Look at my shows go decades. That show went only two years, right? Another show that I loved, I did a show called Contender, a boxing show with Sylvester Stallone and uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. That went four seasons. I wish that was still, that was such a brilliant thing because if you think of the, the, the value proposition for Contender, no rich person who's advantaged is getting in the ring to become a boxer professionally. These are guys who are on the wrong side of the tracks and, and, and literally no one wants to get punched in the face to make their living unless you have to and feed your family. Working with Stallone, who's a friend of mine, was amazing. I learned so much from Sly. Sly said to me, Mark, let me explain how to make Contender better. He said, look at Rocky. What do you think Rocky's about? I said, it's about Rocky. He said, in a way, watch Rocky again, but watch it through Adrian's eyes. I'm like, oh, wow. He said, look how many times the camera cuts to Adrian's face when Rocky's boxing. You get more knowledge and understanding emotion from that than watching Rocky get punched or get punched. And it was like, so I then on Contender made a big thing about the families and the loved ones and the cameras on them when their loved one was fighting. Their loved ones fighting to feed the family because they're from poor families. And while their parents and wives and kids want to encourage them, they're like hiding when they're getting hit. And that's a great way of letting people understand the value of this drama. So that was another show. It went four seasons. So I consider that a, a failure because I, um, you know, wanted to go 10 years, 20 years. This is a treat for me because I'm with two of my closest friends together in a conversation. And the two of you have a lot in common. But one thing you have in common, you both have amazing instincts. I mean, you think about these shows that you've done that have been so successful. And some people, of course, would write it off to luck. It's not luck. Same with Paul. You know, Paul's instincts are straight on. And that's why, you know, his career has endured the way it has. And this is why your career has endured the way it has. And uh, the other common denominator, I think Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Paul wrote Buddy Holly's last song, right? Wasn't that one of the It doesn't matter anymore. He recorded before he died he was a he was a very good friend of mine and i was kind of guiding his career you know he was going through some problems with management and the group etc cetera, etc cetera. and he wanted to you know elevate to strings and the kind of production that i was doing and uh, we were going to open a company together and he called me uh after he got married and he said you know i want to do a big band kind of arrangement so i wrote it doesn't matter anymore and then we put him on tour but you know the best laid plans we were all eager to get to the next city. You know, we didn't travel in style back then. These were old buses, not well appointed, and a lot of it was in weather. So every now and then we'd kind of 
contemplate taking a plane, any plane, to get to the next city, get your laundry done. And Buddy was taking um, pilot lessons in Teterboro. So we sent him out on that tour, and um, the weather was pretty bad, and he wanted to get to the next uh, city. And he convinced this pilot to take he and the bopper, I think Richie Valens, to the next city. Well, you know, they never got off the ground. It was uh, disastrous. But that's the day the music died, you know, and it was, uh, he was going to be my music partner. And we traveled all over the world. He was huge in Great Britain, Scotland. I mean, they loved Buddy Hall. The English, primarily back there in, in, in the earlier years, they were emulating what we were doing. And then they finally got to do it better. The only guy that waylaid their plans is when Hendrix hit town. I was over there. I told you guys, they all, every great guitarist wound up in that little club, and, and Jimmy got up, and he started playing. Well, half of them were ready to go home and commit suicide because they couldn't believe how amazing it was, you know. So he changed that landscape, but the British, you know, they turned it right around and did it better than we did and came over here and swept us away. And if I wasn't a writer, I don't know what kind of career I'd have, you know, writing those little teenage songs. But I did Tonight Show theme and Longest Day, just kind of stayed active and had the gravitas of writing. But the English force was really, you know, when I met the Beatles and knew them and I'd come back to uh, my agents over here and talk to them and say, there's these kids, you know, the Beatles. And they'd say to me, what, what Beatles? What do you mean Beatles? I said, oh, they're Beatles. They got here. I said, you got to see them. And uh, I think Normie Weiss and Sid Bernstein, they flew over and made the deal, brought them over, Shea Stadium, Ed Sullivan, you know the rest of the story. They became the factor. They were they were it, man. They blew us out of the water. Amazing. So, Mark, I know we're keeping you off the slopes, but I just yeah, want to tell I'm you. I'm leaving. Number one, I'm glad we didn't have our Buddy Holly moment, you and I, together that time. I, I, I'm really glad. Secondly, I need you to work on your golf game, although looking over your shoulder with that snow, I don't think you can do it up there unless you have a hey, golf I'm, simulator I'm taking, I'm taking lessons on the simulator, so I, actually, you know, I'm pretty focused. And the most important, th one of the most important things to me will be to beat you in the next few years. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look forward to it. Really appreciate you doing this. I know you don't do this, so that's it's nope. greatly appreciated. You were terrific, of course. Skip, you could not find in the last several years that I would ever do this except for our close friendship. I'm grateful. It was a good conversation. Thank you. Paul, thank you. Pleasure. And Skip, thank you. Thanks. Take care. Our Way with Paul Anka and Skip Bronson is a production of iHeartRadio. The show's executive producer is Jordan Runtog with supervising producer and editor Marcy DePina. It was engineered by Todd Carlin and Graham Gibson and mixed and mastered by Doug Baum. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Presents a new chapter in luxury. 
The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, it's Angela Yee, host of Angela Yee's Lip Service. If you listen to my podcast, you know I love making space for women to be themselves. That's why I'm excited to be part of Women Take the Mic, iHeartRadio's celebration of the women who make music, influence change, and create culture. All month long, your favorite voices from talk radio, music, and podcasting will highlight the remarkable achievements made by women and discuss the most significant issues facing us today. Head to iHeartRadio.com slash Women's Day for more. And listen to Women Take the Mic on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.